but yeah, when I look back, that's why I think I got back into running just as like, I need to feel better because that was the worst year ever of my life. So I think that's a big part of it that because you're not going to feel good all the time. And I often like describe this to people if they need motivation or they're like, you know, how do you do this all the time? Like, how are you so consistent? How do young men like us optimize our lives in a way that lets us achieve success and meaning? Come with me as I interview top performers and delve into key areas of life. Habits, finance, psychology, health, relationships, work, creativity, and business. I boil the ocean of men's advice into usable wisdom in this podcast to give you the answers. My name is Blake Bottrell, and this is The Distilled Podcast. My guest today has been one of Canada's top female distance runners for over a decade. A Pan Am bronze medalist, five-time Canadian champion, and 2017 World Marathon Championship qualifier. She now uses her career as a sports nutritionist to coach elite endurance athletes all while running a half marathon every day. My goal today is to find out why the Mandarin isn't the best pre-race meal, how to deal with maximum discomfort for the duration of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and the importance of finding friends who are just as crazy as you are. Rachel Hanna, welcome to the show. Thanks, Blake, for having me. And that's uh, one of the best intros I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) There you go. So I guess it makes almost the most sense to open with quite a broad question, but feel free to take it anywhere you want, is why would anyone want to run a marathon? It's a very good question. I think uh, during the actual marathon, you ask yourself that several times when you're having any low moment or moment of doubt. But yeah, in terms of the marathon, what I think attracted me to it so much, I started doing them in 2015. So I've been doing them for coming into my ninth year, so almost a decade of marathon running, which it's interesting when I reflect on it. I don't think I you know, you don't perceive to be doing it that long, but it has been a long time. I think the appeal is that it reminds me a lot of just like, honestly, the analogy of like life, like ups and downs, like you start out, you feel great, you're in a rhythm, you go through moments where you have to like talk yourself almost out of anxiety. Like I do find that the distance and the speed at which I'm running it, I have to use techniques like I would in day-to-day life just to help calm myself down. So I think there's a lot of analogies to life in that when you prepare for it, like what you put into it, you get out of it. So it's a direct correlation, like in shorter distances, it's more tactical. Like, you know, when you're doing track races and things that are shorter, there's more, you know, play involved with people going out slow and then speeding up at the end versus the marathon. It's all like, how did your training block go? And you kind of know how you're going to run it based on all the work that you put into it. So I like that it's a direct outcome of that and have just become, I think you get so wrapped up in like the culture of it and all the people you see, like it just, you're like, well, when's my next one? Like, even though you finish sometimes and you're like, why do I want to do that again? And then you're hooked again. So that's For probably sure. a shorter way of answering it. <laughs> <laughs> I say that mostly to ask a follow-up question around whenever, I mean, not that I've given this advice a ton, but I always tell people that if you're thinking about running a marathon, you should probably consider running a half marathon at least first. There's so much that goes into it from, and you'll know this better than anyone in terms of a fueling nutrition aspect, the training schedule, how much more conducive the half marathon training schedule versus a full marathon training schedule is like you're running three hours a day, likely most days, what all in when you're considering the actual running and then the lead up to and whatever else as you're training for a marathon. So just walk me through a little bit of the sort of training that goes into a block. And uh, after that, we can get into some of sort of the pre, during and post nutrition type stuff. Yeah, sure. So for training for it, like there's different things to follow and some people will start a training block like quite far out from a race versus others might start it I would say the average is anywhere from like 12 to 18 weeks that you would think about a marathon training block like just to give yourself enough time to get ready for it I think the more that you've done and the more training you've done probably the less amount of time like you need just because you've run so much mileage over the years so I've seen some athletes where you know they get injured and then a year later they're running their personal best just because they've had so many years of endurance training so I think it depends on how much mileage and training you've done that kind of determines the block length but I like to think about it in like a 12 or 13 week time period where I start to think about the goal race I'm like okay I need to start you know running more mileage and just making sure I'm getting some long runs in so I found that amount of time has worked well and then the training block like there's different ways that people go about it and as I'm getting into like my 
mid later 30s. I want to still consider myself mid 30s, but now I'm 37. There's more recovery. And I finally said to Joe, who's my fiance, and he coaches me. I said to him yesterday, I was like, yeah, this year, I think I'm going to run less mileage and do more qualities. Like, that's what I've been telling you for like an entire year. Like, you get so wrapped up in like, how much mileage am I running? But when I look at how other people are training too, like there's a wide range of how much, like if you look at a yearly mileage and all the, you know, Strava wrapped and all those like programs where people are posting all that they ran, I don't think it necessarily correlates how fast you're going to do it. Cause if a lot of that mileage is really slow or you're really tired and you're just trying to get to a certain amount each week, that's not necessarily good. So I think there's a lot to be said as you get older to make sure you're giving yourself more recovery time and actually like cutting down on the mileage a bit and making sure you're getting good quality into so that's my goal this year is to not do as much mileage because you must have saw my maybe Strava data to show how much average I was running a day but I don't know if I'll do that much this year kind of focus more on quality had a conversation with Ira and you said life and running both got better when I stopped trying to do too much and instead focused on only doing quality things so yeah yeah that's uh yeah, for sure. I was talking to Ben a couple of months ago and yeah, just focusing more and just like learning even myself. I think I've still learned this on how to balance out things. And that's where I was talking to you about your newsletter and how great it was to like read something and be like, okay, I can read this in a couple of minutes. And it really gives me a lot of insight in a short amount of time. So that's what I like about your newsletter and what got us talking and me on this podcast now. But I think that's what I've learned now as I get older, like saying no to more things and just like not even doing as much social social things. I think it does help where I'm living because I'm in a smaller town and there's not as much to do. So I think that has actually forced me to do less and just be like, okay, what quality things do I want to do? And try not to stress myself out because I think I still have an issue with like learning how much I can do in a day and wanting to overdo things, but I'm getting better. And I think it's been helping my running too, just learning that. For sure. So talk me through a little bit of the pre, during, post race nutrition type stuff. Obviously blanket statements are not effective and everybody's an end of one experiment and whatever you want to do, but give me some like general guidelines of like what people should be focused on obviously before and during is most important, but not to be neglected is the the post-race nutrition as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If we're looking at race stuff, like it's always good to practice like on your longer sessions. So just making sure like you're eating what you would eat and prepare how you would like come race day. So that's where I find the long runs, like just a really good opportunity to do that. Cause you can practice like what you're going to eat before, how much carbs you're going to have during typically in like a marathon training block. Like this is where, when I work with nutrition planning for athletes, like I get to them to make sure they're practicing like their basically race strategy, like eight to 12 weeks out. So when you're starting to do those longer runs, like how much, you know, carbs are you going to take in during? And I can talk like specifics too, but if we're looking at before, usually there's a minimum amount that I give to people based on their body weight. So there's a big range for what the sports nutrition guidelines say. So it's anywhere from like one to four grams per kilogram of body weight, which is a huge range. Like it's a very, and like you said, N N equals one, like what works for people, what works, like what have I found useful? Definitely on the lower end, I find like four is fine if you're you know, exercising later on in the day, then yes, you're going to eat more carbs before. But if you're waking up in the morning, like with a lot of, I think marathon runners, like the majority do do a lot of their training in the morning just to replicate race day. But yeah, I try to get at least one gram. Some people go up to two, like, so kind of in that range. So that's going to be anywhere from, depending on someone's body weight, like 50 to 80 grams of carbs beforehand. So you just figure out like, what does that look like in food sources? And how can I make sure I'm getting that amount beforehand? So the meal before is just basically like topping up your glycogen stores, like increasing your blood sugar so that you're, you know, using that for energy during the session and that you're not dipping into those stores as soon. So, and then you're training your stomach also to digest carbohydrates during. So an example of that for me, like I usually have like a large banana and then like usually I eat a Morton like solid bar. Like I really like those because they have like they're about 40 or 45 grams of carbs and just basically like an expensive oatmeal. So that's kind of what I refer to it as. Oatmeal is fine too. Some people like having that, but I like those bars because I can travel with them and then I just save them for like my long runs and races. So that works out to be about just over 60 or 70 grams of carbs. So I usually have that before with fluids and then coffee as well. Do you want me to go into like information about caffeine too and just like because that's very individual but I can talk about what works (laughs) for me too yeah so that's like part of it is like eating that beforehand and usually I would eat that type of thing because like those are quick digesting carbs so anything like protein and fat is going to slow down digestion so I typically if only if someone has like 
two or three hours before, then they can include some protein with it. But typically I recommend not having any fat because that's going to slow down digestion, just take away from um, how fast food's going to move through your stomach. So sticking to mostly carbs. And then the caffeine side of it, it's just very individual because it depends on like how someone responds to it. But caffeine is one of the, you know, recommended, like the IOC did a consensus statement on basically sports supplements. And that's one that's been shown in research to actually help with performance. So I usually use like caffeine supplements that are regulated, like one that's like informed sport certified. So any of those, like it's basically informed sport, informed choice, NSF, those are the three I'm aware of that do testing on their supplements to make sure they're regulated. So I'll usually use 200 milligrams of that. And then depending on like, if it's a marathon, I'll usually take it like 30 minutes before. If it was something shorter in distance, I would take it about an hour, but that's when it'll start to like peak in your body. And the recommendations are basically like, three to five milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So for most people, that's like 200 to 300 milligrams for like the whole duration of the event. So that's usually what I'll take before. And then if I am using a caffeinated gel, I'll take one during, but I try not to go above about like 300 milligrams for like a long run or a race. But I find that really helpful because it helps when your brain starts to get tired and I find I can like push myself better. But I just only use it for like my really hard efforts and races. So, but that really helps me just to use that in training. So that's what I would take before and then for during long run. So there's kind of a range and it really depends on like the intensity too. So if someone's doing like a longer, slower run and they're not going at like race pace intensity, like you can have a lower amount of carbs because your body's going to also use more fat for energy. So basically the higher the intensity, the more carbohydrates you want during. And then it's just trial and error to figure out what works for a person. Cause again, the ranges are like pretty broad. So on the very low end, like when you're starting to do longer stuff, like the low ends, like 30 milli, you know, 30 grams an hour up to like, you know, 90 on the higher end, but they're also like, you know, new research is coming out showing that, you know, cyclists and other athletes are consuming way over that and they're tolerating it fine. So I think before we used to think, you know, 90 was the max that someone could take in, but athletes are taking in more as well, triathletes too. I usually base, if we're looking at just the marathon distance, like I base it on the speed. So like the faster someone's going, the higher the carb target I give them. So when I'm talking and doing a plan with them, if someone's running, you know, a four hour marathon, it's going to be on that lower end. So say, for example, like around 40 grams an hour and it's just figuring out what works for the person. And then myself personally, I take in more like, in the 70s, like 75 to 80. I haven't really gone much above that. I might try my next build to see like if I can get up to 90 grams an hour, but that's typically for someone running like a low two hour marathon. So that's personally what I try to take in. It's taken a while to like do that because like with that high carb amount, like the higher intensity you're going, the harder it is to digest carbohydrates. So you have to train your gut over time. So that's where that eight to 12 week time period, like you have to practice this in training because if you do this just come race day like you will not feel good and you'll probably have a lot of issues no matter what product you use if you haven't been training your gut to digest that amount of carbs because that's a lot like if you think about how much carbohydrate that is per hour so yeah that's what I take in during and then I've been using Wharton sports products for probably since 2018 now so for over five years because they've done a great job at basically patenting the hydrogel technology so they've figured out a way to like help people consume these high amounts of carbs without having the same GI issues because they use like a glucose and fructose blend so basically like encapsulates the carbohydrates so it moves to your stomach faster so that if things are sitting in your stomach for less amount of time it's going to digest faster and then your body's going to be able to use those carbohydrates at a higher rate so i really think that's changed the the targets i was referring to of like how much can the body actually tolerate per hour that's been a huge factor plus people just paying more attention to their sports feeling like i think it used to be an afterthought before but now people are you know sitting down and with professionals like myself and other sport dietitians and like really figuring it out ahead of time so that makes like a huge difference with how much you can tolerate so yeah, it's just finding what works for you and then what you feel good in in training and then doing it come race day. So I usually try to like write out after what I did just to like, that's how I kind of came up with those targets to know, but yep. it is approximate. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I definitely wish someone had informed me a little bit more about fueling and, and all this sort of stuff going into, I ran the Hamilton Road to Hope in 2018. I ran the half and yep just absolutely died at like kilometer 16. And I yeah. can almost assuredly attribute that to like not fueling properly at all during and probably didn't eat the best breakfast. So one of those things, and obviously growing up around a handful of 
triathletes and other runners and stuff. It's like, I can just, they talk to me about all the stuff that they eat before a run and then just go out and do a run. And like, I'm like, if I eat anything two hours before my run, it's not going to go well for me. So it's like, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's training over time to make sure that you're building up your tolerance in your body to being able to withstand that on race day. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that could have been part of it for yourself. Like during that race, you're probably just running out of carbohydrates. And then if you hadn't trained with it, you don't want to do it like come race day because it won't feel very good. And the body can only like digest so much glucose at once. That's why a lot of the sports nutrition companies combine a blend of carbohydrates because like once you basically saturate glucose, like you have to have a secondary source. They're called multiple transportable carbohydrates. So basically just helps elevate how much you can have versus if you're just using one type. So that's another part of it too, like the amount you can tolerate. But yeah, no, it's been really interesting. And just to like see the signs behind it and how like high athletes are going now, like especially like I work with some Ironman athletes and it's pretty wild how much they're taking in over you know an eight or a nine hour period. So it's pretty crazy. But I think it's helped a lot of athletes, like athletes, you know, are, are breaking a lot of records now. Obviously shoe technology is part of that, but part of it is the sports nutrition fueling. Like if people are taking in more carbs than they ever have, like it's making a big difference. So it's quite fascinating. I wanted to chat a little bit about And this comes back to what you're saying a little bit about the marathon of talking and using it as a corollary for life a little bit. But you talk a little bit about sort of perceived effort in training versus like watching a number on your watch. And how can we be better about sort of understanding perceived effort as it comes to training? And like, again, this dips into other areas of life. So I think it's very applicable. Is this something where um, you're looking at heart rate, you're like, doing other things or we're we're just strictly have been running so long that you're attuned to your body and understand how much you're putting in and sorry for some additional context here perceived effort for everyone who as it relates to things like the weather outside or how you're feeling because you didn't sleep well last night or so your body's going to respond differently in a lot of different situations that are going to affect what you think you should be running on your watch and how your body feels versus what the actual number of the output is. Yeah, no, it's really interesting because there's so many apps now that can measure that. Like you can, you know, buy anything now where it measures your sleep and, you know, your heart rate variability and all those factors, heart rate. This is something that if we're looking at, <laughs> I don't like to set a lot of New Year's resolutions, but I would like to actually start looking at the data more. I've been very like, going more by effort in my training like I barely look at heart rate like I'm using a pretty basic watch so like I would have to get a heart rate monitor and just get more detailed but I've never really trained like based on the zones or like you know zone two versus zone three and four I've always gone by effort and I'm able to see my pace like I know roughly where I'm running like I can see splits and I know like roughly the area I can be in but I try to like think about my workout and like can I sustain this pace for a certain amount of time how does that effort feel? How did that feel compared to the month before? Like I use all those types of things. And then how from the carb fueling standpoint, like when my muscles start to really fatigue, like sometimes it's the pace and the distance, but sometimes it's like, if I know I'm lower on carbs and I know why I'm slowing down. So a lot of it has to do with feeling too for that. Um, but yeah, I use more effort and just looking at average pace versus like training by a specific like heart rate zone. I haven't gotten big into that yet. Um, I know some athletes use it, so it's very like, personal that person and who's coaching them one thing that i'm gonna get more training in is um like looking more at like lactate thresholds and like understanding that science so i'm gonna get some training this coming weekend on like how to help athletes with that because that's another area that i want to just get more knowledge in because i haven't personally been using that yet but a lot of athletes will use that to like see what their threshold is and then it's becoming more popular to do like double threshold workouts where you're doing like two in a day up to a certain point so i'm going to start to learn some of that science as well but yeah i haven't been very like tech-based yet in my training. So <laughs> it's a long way to answer that. No, it, it's good. I just think it's one of those things where, and it, like what I'm trying to get out here is it, I think it applies to a lot of different areas of life. And this is like one, it's a, a almost a very binary feeling when we're applying it to running is like, do you, like, is this feeling that I feel right now in my body the same as it was yesterday or the day before when it matched this number on my watch. So you can look at it sort of very objectively as like, when I'm running this way, I feel X or Y. And I think it's sometimes hard for some people to adopt that in other areas of their life where they're not giving themselves the same break of like, hey, I didn't sleep well last night. I like didn't drink whatever. I haven't had a meal yet today. Like one of the, I don't know where I picked this up, but one of the like, first things I do whenever I'm like feeling off or sad or whatever it is, is like, I sort of audit myself and it's like, 
have I had a meal yet today? Did I go for a walk? Like, did I sleep well last night? So like making sure I run down that checklist before I like am upset at myself for being sad or angry or whatever it is, like really auditing how to go about giving myself some grace on some of those other things. That's smart. Yeah, no, it's a good way to look at it, right? Because I think we get into this like happiness trap where you're like, oh, I need to feel good all the time. But it's like, no, some days you are going to feel lower and it's going to take more, you know, not necessarily motivation, but just like take a lot longer to get into whether that's work or just your normal routine. And I think that applies to running really nicely where it's like, even if I use today as an example, I was like, yeah, I felt tired. I went slower. And I'm like, the pace I ran today, like the other day, you know, I was running way faster and it felt way easier because that was the goal that day was to run hard and to run at that effort versus like recovery days. You have to learn like, oh, I'm running slower and that's fine. That's like part of it. So um, I think that's a good analogy. And looking to if you're like tired or you haven't had enough carbs, like I look at all that too and I'm nicer to myself. And I think females specifically too, like looking at like where you're at in your menstrual cycle, like that can really help too. Like being like, oh, like, cause that, like there is a period where it feels a bit harder to make, you know, hard efforts. And it's good to like be nice to yourself during that time too. And just understand, you know, my paces are going to feel a bit harder today. So I've learned that through training as well. And I think the more you do it, the more you're just nicer to yourself because you're training all the time and you're, you're not a machine. You're going to have days that are going to feel really bad so it's being kind and rebounding <laughs> so yeah have you started looking into any of that i know there's a, a handful of i forget what the the popular one is now in terms of like cycle tracking versus workout suggested workout difficulty and stuff like that i know you've had challenges with all this stuff so have you started exploring any of that science as well yet not yet i should probably get an app to track it i just like loosely know roughly like i just kind of track yeah, yeah, it on my calendar and kind of know like roughly where i'm at in the cycle but i was doing a talk with some female athletes last month at mcmaster and we were talking about just like increased energy needs in that like week before the period and how like a you know, the human body can burn up to like 300 more calories a day. So I was just kind of explaining why like someone might be car craving more carbohydrates or feel hungrier during that time. So I've more looked at it from the nutrition side, but I think the training side applies too. Like if I can like pick my races around that, I actually find it really helpful, like, like around the cycle length and everything. But yeah, it'd be good to get an app just to track that. I just haven't organized myself to do that at the moment. <laughs> I'm just doing it a hard way, but some athletes use apps. Like I think it's just helpful to know, like, how many days in between and just making sure it's pretty regular. I think that's the biggest thing like with athletes to make sure they're getting a regular cycle and it's within a certain amount of days. And then next you can look at like, okay, should I adjust my training and talking to your coach? Okay. Maybe I need an extra recovery day that week, or maybe we push the workout back. If like you typically know you get pretty bad, like PMS symptoms, then that's helpful to know for sure. But yeah, I always know that time period and I try to like, not, I actually don't like usually set target times. I just go by effort too on those. Like if that's that like week before, then I kind of know my body. So <laughs> know how hard I can run. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of community and finding good training partners. Yeah, I think it's huge. It's like, cause a lot of this, like you think about the race distance and like you get to run it once and maybe it's like, you know, two times in a year. And if you're not like enjoying the process and if you're just like, oh, I want to get this goal or this exact time, like if you don't think about everything you've gained like throughout it, I think that's what has kept me in the sport is like, I was even reflecting on that today as we did like a new year's run and we had a great group of people and like we live in a pretty small area so it's like it's hard to find other runners but i was like wow this is like the best turnout we've had and i was like i wouldn't have met like most of these people if it wasn't for running because it's a time of day where people can dedicate to exercise and the fact that you can like make friends during it and it gets people at the door and it motivates them i think that's made a huge difference and why i'm still in the sport is that and i think when you're asking about the marathon like why that distance i think it's just like because it's so difficult and the training's hard like i find whoever you train with like you're closer to like you just develop this bond because you've like suffered on workouts together and it's just like it's hard to find that type of relationship like in other areas too like sometimes with work you can but i find yeah through running you can really form really awesome relationships and you kind of have like an open dialogue where like you're running next to someone versus like face to face i do Think, and I'm sure there's research on this too to show like bond through shared bond struggle better yeah through shared yeah. struggle and just like surviving together but yeah community has been great and just like what running can do for fundraising and just if you look at all the races and what people can raise money for and it helps them like it makes people want to volunteer and I think it's just great for 
for that side of it too so yeah no it's been been awesome and it helps too like as silly as like Strava and those apps are like I actually really love it even though it can make people kind of OCD about numbers myself included but if you push that aside I actually think it really helps people connect because I downloaded it when it was during COVID like right after because I was like why would I want to monitor my runs or see what other people are doing I thought I'd get too much in my head with my competitors but I actually really like it now because people will come and like run with our group and they might be from all over like they might live two hours away and now they're following each other and like I'll see comments and they're like supporting each other versus like so it just brings people together and like it's such a positive thing to give people motivation to work out like I think that side of it's really good so yeah yeah I think anything we can be doing to be giving people more motivation to work out right now is absolutely a good thing if we were to make Rachel like grand overlord of uh, the running community what are some things that we could be doing to sort of make running more approachable? Yeah, I think having groups for like your similar speeds, because I think that's really important if you're like new into running. So like, say, for example, if run groups have like a learn to run program, I think those are great because it's less intimidating. So I think if you're getting into the sport, like knowing there's going to be someone else running about your speed. So it becomes easier when you're in bigger cities like Toronto, or you're in like a populated area to have bigger run crews because there's different paces. But I think that's the one hard part about it is that you have to find people with equal ability to to run together and just having that support I think also having a coach like even if you're new into it I think that's really important and in other areas of life too like I think it's just good to have accountability I think a lot of my job obviously there's you know science and guidelines but a lot of my work with people I would consider coaching like I'm doing nutrition coaching but when I look at you know people I've talked to for maybe three or four years I'm like well they, they know the basics and now it's like accountability. So I think that same part applies to running as well. And then it helps people like not go too fast. Cause I do, when I talk to new athletes who say they've gotten into running and they can develop injuries if they like push themselves too much. So I think a coach also helps hold you back to be like, like, cause you can get really excited, especially with the, I'll go back to the use of Strava just because I think it makes people like a bit crazy sometimes, like just run too much or run too fast on their easy days. Just cause like now someone's looking at your pace, you're running, which is such a funny idea, but I think it can make people overtrain. So I think like having that, if you're thinking about a new group of runners, like making sure you have someone giving you guidance and then all the other parts, like you know proper shoes and proper nutrition, like all those things that can make a difference. And then having like treatment professionals too is really important. Like I'm a firm believer in that because early on in my running career, I would just basically see people if I had injuries or something was starting to hurt. But now I like, it's like maintenance for your car. Like you have to go and like see somebody for every few weeks just to keep it going. So I think that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah I definitely resonate with the, not that I ever had the same extent, but the overtraining mindset of, and you talk about this and obviously are well aware with, of the idea that all of your mileage outside of your workouts should be a lot slower than mm-hmm. any of your like race time workout paces. But I, I think that's something for people who are getting into it or, or run a, want to run a 5k or a 10k or something as they're just getting into things where they think they've got to give all effort all the time for all the mileage that they're running and end up running into an issue where they injure themselves because they're running race pace for 60 kilometers a week or something, whatever they're doing. So I definitely fell into that trap and it didn't help that a lot of the runners that I got into running because of are a lot faster than I am. So yeah. their <laughs> slow runs are were often not quite race pace, but would be or their comfortable tempo would be where I would be running all out. So when they're doing their easy runs, I still could probably be running 30 seconds slower and per K and and still find where I would be more comfortable. So just being cognizant of coming back to who you're running with, finding those pace groups and and making sure that you're not overtraining and not comparing yourself to people you shouldn't be comparing yourself to. Because I know I've fallen into that trap. Yeah, no, I think it makes a big difference. And I can kind of tell when I'm running with people, like how much they're talking. And then if they're not really talking very much to me, then I'll slow down on purpose, like just because. And then on the opposite side, like, you know, I went to Flagstaff, I think it was like 2020, and I'm hoping to go back this year again for training. But I met up, like, they have these like bagel runs where like professional athletes meet up with anyone and anyone can do their run. And I was at the back and I was just trying to keep up because, like, you know, you're running with Olympians and all these people are so fast. So again, it was like that gray zone training that I knew I was doing, but at least I'm not doing that every run but you're right you can get in that middle zone where you're like pushing way too hard and then you're not able to go on either end of like easy and then push yourself really hard in workouts if you're running in between so I think that's one of the biggest things to like learn as a new runner is just 
like running easy days easy and then really pushing hard on workouts. So definitely helps to have guidance from a coach and then who you're running with too, because that can impact it. Because you get excited on runs and you can run too fast. So I think that's, yeah, something to be wary of. For sure. I think general guideline for people, if you're doing an easy run and can't at least have a light conversation with the person that you're running next to, you're running too fast. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way, like just if you're on your own, even just like trying to talk or say something like you should be able to talk while you're running at an easy pace. So and it should be like substantially slower than like your race pace or your workout pace, too. So often people ask me that. I don't know. There's not like to me, it's like, you know, at least a minute slower, maybe more like compared to like your workout pace versus easy days, but sometimes even slower, depending how you're feeling and conditions, too. Like that's a lot of it as well. I think that's why sometimes people look at heart rate, too, because it like if it's windy or it's cold, like those factors are going to slow you down. So how does this all factor into the mental health side of things? I know you talked briefly about sort of some of the more depressing times in your life were when you weren't running and then you decided that you needed to start running again because specifically because you were more on the depressed end of the spectrum. Can you just talk a little bit to sort of what either running does particularly for you or some prescriptions for people in terms of how it's helped you in terms of building up that mental side of things. Absolutely. Yeah. When I look back at like the most, probably the most challenging year of my life was when I was doing the least amount of exercise. Like if I look at when I was going in between my like undergrad and I was doing my dietetic internship in the US. So for some reason, I think I had some type of injury and I just didn't figure out what was going on. So I just wasn't running very much and not sleeping well, like low mood. Like it was definitely the most challenging year of my life. Plus like trying to, you know, do your profession and get through school at the same time. But yeah, when I look back, that's why I think I got back into running just as like, I need to feel better because that was the worst year ever of my life, like just stress and mood. So I think that's a big part of it that because you're not going to feel good all the time. And I often like describe this to people if they need motivation or they're like you know how do you do this all the time like how are you so consistent I said well you know part of it is that habit that you know you build it into your day but also like if I'm being realistic like I don't really wake up feeling that good like I'd say like maybe I'm not a morning person or maybe it just takes me a while but I find like I'm not in a great mood and then I go and run and I'm like okay like I'm good for you know most of the day and then like you said when you're looking at you know if you're tired or losing focus like what do you need to do take a walk like when's the last time you ate like kind of going through that checklist too but for sure when I run in the morning it just sets up my day really well and I find from a focus standpoint like my best work is done after I exercise which I'm sure a lot of people get that too with mood and focus like it really helps with that I know some people after runs like they can you know feel really tired and they have to like relax after but I find I'm the opposite where like once I run as long as I'm eating well then I'm like most productive in that time period afterwards so I think that's what drives me to be able to do it. So, and also when you come, like when you start to taper for races and then you take days off, like, it's really interesting. It's almost like, like to me, because of how much I run, which part of it frightens me when I'm like, okay, I'm going to get injured or I can't exercise. Like, it's almost like coming off medication. Like you almost feel like dependent on like this, like high that you get from like training, which when I talk to people who don't enjoy running, I don't think they get that. Like, they're like, I don't get that runner's high. Like I don't get those endorphins after. So that's probably why they've done a different sport or maybe don't exercise but if somebody's really like prone to feeling great after like I think that's what drives you to do it all the time so that certainly helped me through life (laughs) we were only motivated by the things that are we're yeah we're only motivated by the things that bring us some sort of pleasure afterwards so putting the incentives in place that whether it be your biological tendency to feel the best after you go for a run I think all of that lines up Mm -hmm. pretty nicely for sure yeah exactly I just am coming off recording another podcast here and was doing a lot of talk about sort of lifestyle design as it fits with me for the next year. And I've been really sort of intentional of trying to set that up. And I I have a sort of unique question, or you're in a bit of a unique situation here in that uh, you're actually dating slash engaged to your coach. And I sort of wanted to ask you a little bit about that as it comes to lifestyle design, because I think a lot of people look at that rightly or wrongly as some sort of like taboo thing. I know there's a lot of people who don't understand power dynamics and stuff like that. And it can get a little bit hairy in some of the edge cases. My question to you from like a lifestyle design perspective is obviously it must fit quite well for you. And I know we've talked a little bit anecdotally about like, he's just the person you want to spend the time with. And like, there's no one who has your best interest more at heart. So how is someone else who might be in some sort of a similar situation and like, thinking about all these things, how do they 
sort of navigate that and how has it worked out for you and understanding how to translate that to other people? For sure. Yeah. Cause I think there's definitely some athletes who are like coached, like I think of, you know, a couple and like elite athletes who are coached by like their significant other, whether they're married or partners and it does work well for them. So I think it just depends on the relationship you have and probably like how you perceive someone giving you instructions and like telling you what to do because it is hard for sure like we've for sure gotten in like arguments or we've been like you know fighting on a run and he'll go off and just like run ahead of me but it's kind of silly and we'll always get over it but that's happened maybe like a handful of times in the last like three years so it hasn't been like a major issue but it's more if I'm not listening well to like the instructions which is on my part like that's me not following like what my coach says so but I think it's a very delicate balance like you have to make sure like it works well for you you trust in the training I think because I've been doing this so long like if I was a new athlete into it I probably would not have this dynamic of like dating you know my coach I would have someone else who like I don't you know see as much and if I was trying to like learn more about the sport but I feel like at this point there's a lot of flexibility too like he doesn't like with other athletes he'll give a set training plan each week versus me Um, we just work through workouts and we kind of decide together like he'll give an idea and then we'll modify so there's still a lot of say on my part just because I probably could coach myself but I think it's really helpful to have someone else to give guidance to and just ideas too so it's mostly workouts that he gives me and I kind of decide on mileage but yeah it does it works for us for now so it's been good at keeping me healthy I think that's the biggest thing is like I look back on my career I've had a lot of like bone injuries and time off running and overtraining so I think it's good to find someone who you said has your best interest at heart and knows if you're you know, training too much, like, because they can tell based on your mood or how much you're sleeping or things like that. And then he'll kind of know how to adjust stuff based on that. And I think that's what he does well with his programming is like, it's not a set plan. Like he does it very individual for everyone, which is way more time consuming, but I think it really helps people stay healthy. That's like his number one goal. It's like health over performance. So which I'm in line with, but, but yeah, I'm sure some people it might be challenging for it probably depends on personality types and like how their life is set up and everything like that. Yeah. You're talking about lifestyle design, you said before this? Like, yeah, just right. like, yeah. I think obviously you're unique and, well, not fully unique in this, but like the idea of being able to sort of holistically integrate all the different parts of your life so you don't feel so siloed of like, my running thing is over here and my relationship mm-hmm. is over here. Your whole mm-hmm. life just sort of feels like it all fits together the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. So that if you were like, intentionally planning that not that it wasn't in some way intentionally planned but like if you were to try to set up your the best life you could imagine it looks something like all of the parts of your life are integrated in this way right yep yep that no that's right i would the only um thing i would change is in terms of like training partners which that's like partly where i live like there's not a lot of people who live here versus never mind run so that's the only part i find difficult like workouts are great support's great it's just sometimes i don't have someone to like push an entire workout with me which is like pretty normal like most people who are still running at my speed and running the distances like they're probably training a lot with a group or they're out in like Flagstaff or they're sponsored by like a group that's running together so I think when you're doing it at this age and I'm also trying to balance out a career like that's just the reality is that you're gonna have to do a lot of work on your own which that part to me is the hardest like so but but I've been pretty creative like I'm pretty flexible with like finding you know training partners and driving places and I find that that helps a lot so that's definitely the most challenging aspect. So, Is there any pull to longer distances for you? Like going longer than the marathon? Yeah, are you capping out at the marathon? For now, I'd rather like, I want to try to run a personal best this year if I can in the marathon. So I'd rather like run a bit faster, get it over with, and like extend the distance. I get did do a 50k. <laughs> <laughs> just like put me out of my misery yeah the I did a 50k in Hamilton like Reed Coolsat put on one I think it was 2021 maybe or it was during COVID it was just coming off it was when like smaller groups could be together outside but not anything major so Krista Duchesne wanted to break the 50k road record so Reed like certified a course like just at the lakeshore there and so we did like a 5k out and back so I did do a 50k then but when I started to get past the marathon distance like it got dark and I was just like why am I doing this like <laughs> yeah it just seems so long but maybe one day I might like think about it in the future but I don't know right now it seems like I'd rather do this distance. When you're thinking about sort of coming back full circle to what we started the conversation with of, of, 
being in some of those dark places during the marathon. Is there anything, like you said, you're talking yourself through when you're training yourself to tolerate some of those more dark points in the marathon and and running longer distances and you've been doing this for so long is there firstly is there any sort of tactical reality that you can point to in terms of like these are some of the th- things that actually help me during those low points and is there anything in those areas that you have seen transfer outside of running in particular into other areas of your life definitely yeah with darker moments in the marathon like it usually has to do with like if you overthink it too much and if you're like because really the the whole marathon idea is like you're trying to like figure out the fastest you can run with maintaining that pace so it, it takes a lot of like i think practice to figure out that exact pace so you don't go too fast like you're you're trying to maintain a level of intensity. So there can be moments where like you, you know, your blood sugar is starting to drop and you're starting to get like, you know, worried about how much you have remaining in the race and if you can keep that speed up. So it's more directed to like an exact time versus like finishing it. So I think working through that in my last race, I thought a lot about like form, the people I was running with. Also, like I was, I kind of like right from the start thought about instead of being like, oh, I have this amount left. Like, oh, I've already covered this amount of ground. Like it's all like your mindset on like, when you go into it and how you can push yourself that day, like put it all together. Cause you know, the training's there. It's just, can you stay positive when it starts to get hard? Um, and I think for me, just staying focused, which I think is normal during a distance that long, but it's almost like remembering, like, like you have to be ready to like hurt at like 30 K. Like anyone can get up to like 30 K at like a pretty, like if you've done the training, you can like be in a good rhythm, but it's like really after that point, it all becomes mental. Like, cause you know, you've done the training. So it's like, can you stay focused on that pace and not lose like a group ahead of you? I think that's the biggest thing is just once you lose someone like who's in front of you that you're running with, then it's very hard to like maintain that pace on your own. So that's something I'd like to like work on in future races. When I've talked to like certain sports psychologists, like they'll use certain tactics, like just thinking about like the sound of your feet hitting the ground and other runners around you. Like you're just trying to basically distract yourself because there is going to be discomfort. And I've read advice too with like, excitement versus anxiety like the body doesn't really know the difference so if you're more excited about the race versus anxious about it i think that can make a huge difference when i ran my first marathon which was my second fastest which kind of blows my mind because i wasn't using carbon shoes i wasn't fueling properly but i was super excited i was really fit so like i think that got me through that like darker part at the end where i was able to like push past because i'd never done the distance so i was like oh i'll see what i see what i can do in this and i think that made a big difference of like being excited about it versus anxious so if you can like channel that in races like try to be excited versus worried i think that can make um, a huge difference in your performance as well and then yeah other areas of life like if you have like i guess the the correlation i could draw would be like a long like say i have like you know a day where i'm in the office and i find like those days are quite hard because i set up my schedule quite nicely from home where i get like you know a certain amount of breaks and i can like you know refocus and because we can only stay focus for so long but when I'm in an office setting like typically someone else is making my schedule sometimes I'll be booked for like a certain amount of time so I can relate that to like running where you're like okay I've got one interval left which is like you know a couple people left to talk to which like sounds very silly but it like helps me through that as well like just because um I'm trying to you know always provide a good service to people and there's only so much energy you have in a day so I think that helps me get through long days too at work as well is there anything in your professional career or as you continue this career with running that gets you more excited or that you're excited you're learning about or next steps that you're taking that are really sort of opening your mind to a bunch of exciting new stuff? Yeah, I think professionally getting just like looking at the year ahead, getting more hands-on experience like with athlete testing, like I mentioned about the lactate and threshold and just learning more about like the bicarb system, like that Morton's introducing, like that stuff to me is super exciting just with the like Olympics coming up and shorter distances, like they're going to be using that with a lot of athletes. So um, it should be coming to Canada soon. So I'm excited to like basically just use a new sports product that I've only read like excellent things about again, back from that, like IOC consensus statement on sports supplements like that's one of the ones that has been proven in research to be helpful it's just the gi issues are so severe with it historically that i haven't been able to use that with athletes because it hasn't been worth the trade-off of having like you know <laughs> explosive diarrhea when you're running so that's like with the morton bicarb system like they figured out a way like through the hydrogel to like basically tolerate that so i'm excited to like start using that with athletes so that's something i'm looking at this year to get more training in and then yeah, just developing more like fueling plans and just getting better at that. I want to do more like 
like basically reviews with like research. So I work with another dietitian through Unlock Nutrition and he's really great at like sending me research articles and he wants me to do a little bit more social media where we're looking at specific research and basically giving a summary, which um, I want to do more of that because I think it really helps. And then I can direct people to things I'm having conversations about, but just like direct them to a post on it versus me explaining it. So that's something I want to get better at is basically social media posting and breaking down research and hard topics into like a couple minutes, which I find the most challenging, but that's something I want to work on coming up. But I think it's very valuable because most people don't have time to read through tons of research articles or make sense of what's actually being shown in literature. So that's something I want to work on professionally and yeah, just keep working with sports athletes. (laughs) What's the most interesting piece of literature you've read recently things on sodium intakes that'll be the next thing i want to do probably this coming week is just talk a little bit about sodium guidelines because i find it really interesting that there's so many different products with varying degrees of sodium like if you look at some sports drinks you know they have 100 milligrams per 500 mils and then other ones have a thousand so like that's a big range of like sodium content and then there's no like good literature showing that higher amounts are actually more beneficial for the majority of athletes at least if they're you know under four hours for like total distance so I think like going more into that science like there's a paper right now I'm reading on it about just different amounts and how like the body's really good at like regulating sodium levels and we get enough through our diet and then we tend to not lose as much as well so I think like sodium has been overdone for the most part in terms of uh, for the majority of athletes so that's something that I'd like to just yeah continue to research on as well. It's interesting you talk about that. I know there's one of the like absolute most popular podcast sponsorship brands right now is uh, it's an electrolyte electrolyte brand brand. Oh my gosh, I am just <laughs> running on empty. An electrolyte brand called Element, and it's LMNT, and they mm-hmm. they're just individual sachets, and it's like a thousand milligrams of sodium, and obviously they market to a slightly different demographic, but the idea that maybe we're sort of overdoing things there and for like if you're trying to get a thousand milligrams in a bottle of water you're basically drinking seawater so it's it can be tough at that point so it's interesting to know that the evidence might not necessarily be there and that for someone who thinks that they're being told that this is where they're supposed to be that maybe you can look at scaling back a little bit and looking at something on the lower end versus trying to digest some salt water. Absolutely. Yeah. Because when it's too high, like it can really alter, I think someone's like hydration strategy too, because then they're not drinking enough fluids. Like if it doesn't taste good to them, like that's part of, you know, taking in enough fluids during exercises, like you have to like the taste of it. And then if it's too high sodium, it's really not going to taste very good unless they're adding like artificial sweeteners or other things that aren't good for you. So I think the simpler product, the better. And then in my opinion, like I would pick lower sodium over a higher sodium one the only exception would be like ultra marathons or things in like really hot conditions where it's like pretty extreme conditions where you may need extra electrolytes but so far like the research isn't convincing that like more is better in terms of sodium and i think the body just has a good way of like regulating sodium levels that we've really overdone it with like a lot of the sports products so my um take on it's lower amounts is better so <laughs> i think everybody... i talk about a lot with people yeah i think everybody tries to maximize everything without understanding that the regulation within the body is going to do what it's going to do anyway so we try to like shove a whole bunch of things into a supplement or whatever it is and the bioavailability of whatever it is that you put in that is only x percentage of everything anyways and then you're trying to add more stuff and it's like are you getting marginally more benefit for this thing that you don't actually like and or is not providing the benefit you thought it was and is is this working for anybody except the top 0.1% of athletes and whatever? So yeah, it's, it's interesting to have that conversation too, for sure. Yeah, you're right. And a lot of people's diets are very high in sodium. So it doesn't need to be like, we don't need to add extra typically. And uh, the better like trained you are, then the less like sodium you need during as well. So that's like what some of the research shows too. You've talked a couple of times about the sort of idea that a lot of research almost follows athlete usage or athlete the research is almost a lagging indicator on the what the athletes are doing on course can you talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about any interesting things that you're seeing there beyond some of the feeling stuff or do you delve further into some more interesting 
research on any of the feeling stuff yeah no i think you're right there like i think the main thing is that like research is slow moving because you can only like you have to account for a lot of factors it takes a long time to you know get participants and make sure everything's well controlled so often like athletes are already doing things in training and then the research follows to show that like the i think the good example is the carb amount like athletes have probably been taking in a lot more carbs than what we've actually like shown research on but now we're starting to show that athletes can tolerate higher amounts but i think they've already been doing that because like an athlete's not going to be very patient whether that comes like you know injury rehab like talking from my own experience it's like they want benefits fast so they're probably not going to wait for like research on specific things that are new at least so yeah i think there's definitely a lag time and then there's definitely more like men in research studies versus women so i think that needs to be like improved upon like more women in studies as well just to help equal it out but yeah most of the stuff i read on is mostly all sports nutrition and then some things around like protein metabolism but it's mostly what i have time for there what's something i haven't asked you that i should i can't think of anything we've talked about quite like wide range of topics I think if there's anything else I feel like we've covered a lot I guess I didn't touch too much on recovery nutrition so I could talk about that for a couple minutes like just with we talked about like before during and then after but one note I just want to make on recovery that I see with a lot of athletes is just making sure carbs are high enough afterwards so I think we become very focused on, you know, a lot of people know, you know, protein for muscle growth and development and recovery. But often I see in somebody's like at least immediate recovery window of say it's an hour, 90 minutes after not having enough carbohydrates and carbohydrates help prevent muscle protein breakdown. So I think having like almost like a three to one carb to protein ratio is really important. Whereas I find a lot of athletes will finish workouts and have, you know, a protein shake or a bar or something like that. But it's often like too low in and carbohydrates if someone's able to eat a meal after then typically it's fine and it meets that criteria but i think that's something that athletes should just focus in on is making sure they're getting enough carbs after i think it's all been great yeah no that was great that was awesome yeah i think it's certainly one of the things that people don't want to neglect everybody loves the fancy planning or their pre-race nutrition or making sure their schedule is locked down in terms of their training plan or whatever that looks like, but making sure that you're just doing all of the little things that matter is where a lot of your final success is going to come from. If people want to uh, find out a little bit more about what you do or uh, where they can find your stuff, where should we send them? Yeah. So this year I want to make a website. I don't have a website yet, but I'll get on that. I do have my booking link on my Instagram page and it's also in my email signature too. So if people reach out to me, it's just rachelhannahrd at gmail.com. And then my booking links on my Instagram page, which is just rachelhannahrd. That's kind of the main way to contact me. So my main business is virtual consultation. So sports nutrition feeling also help people with weight loss too as well. So that's kind of part of my background as well. And then my program includes, I do initial consultations where it's, it's pretty common comprehensive. I go over, you know, health history, diet history, medical history, we do supplement reviews. I usually get people to track just to look in more detail about their diet. And then if it's an athlete, I'll give a sports nutrition plan and then kind of design it around their race schedule. And then for weight loss, it's more ongoing support. So typically like if I can talk to someone over a year, that's great. So more frequent check-ins is needed for that. And uh, yeah, I would consider it more like nutrition coaching. So it helps a lot with accountability. And like you mentioned, those like small things, like Often it's the things that don't seem as exciting to start because often when, you know, someone's wanting to make changes, we want to make a bunch at once. So I think my job is to figure out, okay, what are, you know, three or four habits that we can develop and do it really consistently and find kind of the easiest things to modify that can like fit within your lifestyle. And often it's like little tweaks and people are surprised. So often when I like start with someone, like it won't seem like it's that much, but then they start to feel better. Or they're able to like incorporate those into their daily habits. So I think a lot of it's breaking down like our big goals and motivations into like easier parts to manage. And I think it just helps having someone to support that. So that's what I do. Perfect tie in for large goals coming into smaller goals coming into the start of the year here. So I think it's a Mm -hmm. great place to wrap things up. And uh, thank you very much, Rachel, for coming on and chatting. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was really enjoyable. 